and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading, and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5 by 5 They really are super duper. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5 by 5 I'm Donna Sorensen. And I'm Ian Broom. How are you feeling this week, Ian? I've got a case of the wobbly legs. Oh dear, the wobbly legs. Yep. And um, temperature, I believe. Bit of a temperature, wobbly legs, um, uh, some sweat issues. Oh, nice. But you are working on through it? Uh, battling on through. It's Sweating the, onto your keyboard? So, yeah, there has, there has been some sweatiness related to the keyboard. It's been um, a, a really busy week, and of course this is... For all you freelance writers out there, this is um, one of the, whatever the opposite of perk is, um, of the job. Because obviously you don't get any sick pay, so you just have to kind of crack on. Mm. Yeah, actually, I hadn't really considered that, yeah. Mm. Oh well. But you're alright, you're with us, and you have been reading up on what's been happening in the uh, publishing industry? Oh, I've fully researched, done, you know, <laughs> I, pretty, I know the industry backwards from... Uh, from a what's happened this week point of view. Oh, excellent. Well, there's been a big hoo-hoo-ha-ha, hardy-hoo-hoo about um, about reviewing again this week. I, we've touched on it before, haven't we? Well, yeah, we have touched on it briefly. People are, uh, authors are uh, retaliating in ever more surprising ways to reviewers who don't take much of a liking to their books. Mm, it's true, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But we thought this week, didn't we, that we might start a little differently. We did. I was expecting the tinkling of a xylophone there. Yeah, sorry. Me, uh, what do you call it? Oh, no, now I've forgotten what the banger-bonger thing's called. <laughs> it's only a few podcasts ago that I actually looked it up on Google. It could. <laughs> um, we can call it the banger-bonger if you want. <laughs> or the wonger. I couldn't get the wonger in time. Sorry, I've got it now. We're going to start with some listeners' questions. Plural. Nice. I can tell you, you are putting more effort into that now, aren't you? I am, yes. I don't want my legacy, my podcasting legacy to be, you know, ridiculous, like, which I did do quite a few weeks in a row, so do you, uh, I'm taking it a bit more seriously. Do you think we could crowdfund a Christmas single? <laughs> oh my God. Try and stop me <laughs> doing a Christmas single. Now you've put that idea in my head. Oh my goodness. If... if, if 22 or more listeners get in touch to say that they would be willing to help crowdfund a listener's question single. I I know some people who can make it happen. Amazing. And I've already got some ideas. I believe I can fly. (laughs) See? So don't worry. It's going to be big. We we might struggle with copyright on that one. (laughs) But I just came up with that myself. Oh, Right. Listeners questions. We have a few. We've had a question for a few weeks, which we've not got round to and felt bad about it. So this week, let's start with Isabeth Christie, who asked us on Twitter. um, Or I should just say her Twitter handle is... What, sorry? Her (laughs) Twitter... Oh, it is going so well. Her Twitter... (laughs) Twitter handle. That's not even funny. Oh, it's Carrie Sabell, 74. 
C-A-R-Y-S-A-B-E-L-74. You wrote a script for a podcast story, you being you, as in Ian Broom, not as in me, mm-hmm. Donna. What was challenging and different from normal script? There's three question marks, so she really really is wondering about this. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, yes, so um, I guess this is kind of an update on, on, on the... Uh, fictional podcast that I talked about for uh, for a few weeks over the summer um, so I, I did write a short script for um, well it's referred to here as a podcast story but I, it's it's um, it was um, I guess that's kind of true um, it, it was it's quite a short thing so every episode only, only would last around um, 10 to 15 minutes um, so it's not like it's an hour-long script Um and the 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 challenging thing, I suppose, um, is that I've not really written a script before. However, um, it's different from a normal script in the sense that it's well, not all scripts, but most scripts in the sense that there is only one um, voice. So it's more of a monologue, really, than a than a um, than a kind of than a dialogue, I suppose. Um, and and so that's a bit that's a bit weird. It's a bit of a challenge to uh, to write that kind of thing. Um, it's supposed to be funny. I realised after after a while, I realised that there were more jokes than I'd uh, expected <laughs> or attempts at jokes. So it was um, so that's difficult to try and try and do something in quite an unusual format and make it funny. Um, the update on this is that I. I, I I have this pilot that I made, so it's the first episode, which I need to re-record because it's uh, a bit too long. That was the initial feedback. Um, I will do that at some point, and I I will put that out. Um, but um, I yeah I've I, I've I, I, I'm I, it's on the whole project is slightly on the back burner, mostly because um, well for, first of all I need to work on the on my novel instead, but also. Um, it's the sort of thing that would be taking up time out of my freelance time and I would need to kind of guarantee that I could make it pay through something like Patreon or something like that which is what I was thinking of doing and I'd love to do that I would absolutely love to um to have my own fictional podcast and make you know even um uh, even say I don't know a day's a day's wages a day's freelance rates which is you know um a lot to expect really um but yeah imagine that i could do that then um then that'd be fantastic but you know i i'm i'm a realist i i know that it would be um a lot of work and quite challenging to uh to uh, make that happen and mm. it wouldn't happen quickly so i think what i might do is get really stuck into the novel maybe get the novel finished and then go back and maybe write an entire series and so maybe 12 entire episodes so that i've always got myself uh, 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 so far ahead, so I know that I'm I'm not I'm never going to be sort of stuck the material to publish. But I'd still love to do it. I think it's I, I do quite like the idea. I quite like what I what I um, wrote and recorded. I just haven't got to the point where I'm putting it out yet for extraneous factors. And have you written other kinds of scripts for other formats before? Anything to compare it to? No, I, I wrote stuff at university because. Um, I, part of my undergraduate degree was to write a script, but do you know I have abs- I've got no idea what what that was. I could not even begin to think what what it could have been about. Um, so no, not recently. It's not. It's kind of the one area of uh, 
creative writing that I've that I've not really tackled before. I've, I'd quite like yeah. to. I've always I've always sort of uh, thought it'd be good to do so. Yeah, I mean, it's an area I've not really tackled either. But uh, for some reason, I don't have a massive urge to. Um, but you never know. Maybe in the future. Cool. Shall we take the next listener's question? Next question, please. Next question, please. This question is also via Twitter, and it's from Bram Bresseliers. Uh, he actually sent us two questions, so we can take the first that he sent us now, which is, how much of a choice is your writing? Do you simply have to write to be happy, or could you go without? Um, and I can answer this by saying, could you go without? I mean, you and I have talked a lot recently about the fact that we've had to go without based on where we are in our lives with little babies. Um, but it's very interesting that you really feel unhappy when you do it and you just feel like this niggling sense underneath that that you really need to do it. Mm. So, I don't know. For me, I feel like it's 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 not so much that it's it's an urge, but it is it's something that I am desperate to do Um I don't know. It's difficult to answer, isn't it? Because I really, really love it and I really enjoy it and I always want to be doing it and I'm not able to do it right now. So I can go without, but in order to be happy, I think I need to be writing and creating things as I, much as possible. I think it's possibly uh, not an ideal time in our 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 particular lives um, to um, to be to be answering the question. But I mean, I know that, that lots of people do say that writing isn't a choice for them and it's just something that they're absolutely compelled to do. And if they don't, then um, uh, then they would kind of just, I don't know, that a part of them would be lost or they just wouldn't be able to get along. Um, and I, 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 I've never really felt like that, um, t- to be honest. Um, and, and, uh, and, I, and I don't really feel like that now. The idea of do I have to write or could I go without is a question that I, I, I have asked quite, quite a lot, really, to be honest. Like, do I... Because it's stressful, you know. It's quite stressful writing. It's not so much the writing itself; it's the anticipation of having to write. And this is probably all tied in with the whole write for your life theme of um, of uh, having to, you know, have a life as well and have a uh, uh, you know a full time job. Um, uh, but but even so, there is always the anticipation of having to do the writing as well. And sometimes I do think would it not be much easier to sit in my pants and watch. DVDs instead um, but I've never been that sort of person I have been that sort of person on the odd night but um, <laughs> I'm being that person quite a lot at the moment <laughs> not, and, not not the pants bit I tend to be fully clothed but yes I, a lot of TV I think unfortunately it's just switch your brain off time isn't it for us yeah well you know you've got you've got other things to be worrying about at the moment or to be looking after but then, you know, I had, like, I tweeted at the weekend that I had two hours to myself and the deadline for the National Poetry Competition in the UK is next, oh, what will it be, Friday? It's the 31st of October, anyway. And I, it's always like a big thing every year when it comes around because last year I didn't enter for the first time in a few years. Um, and I really felt rubbish about not entering. I really did. And I said I wasn't going to do that again this year. But... I think this, the reason that I haven't entered this year still, again, is a combination of factors. One, having had a poetry collection published now, I feel that I am not writing as much as a result of that because you feel suddenly that you are 
that you have to have this level. You can't just be sitting there scrawling and scribbling out poetry, you know, that, that it, I don't know, it just, you, you have this filter where you just expect a much, much higher level of yourself. And I think that restricts you a little bit. I think I'm in that phase. Um, and the other thing is that, is that I've come to realize now after many years of, of being in the game that competition poetry is a certain type of poetry and I just basically don't have any poems which I think would win the national poetry competition and I haven't in previous years but I've entered anyway so now I had this idea for a poem that I thought would be absolutely ace and I was going to write it and I had the two hours at the weekend and instead of writing it I sat and researched things about it which I felt was helping me go in the right direction but I still didn't write it so now I have a week left to to get something down and I just need to see now whether that pressure that time pressure and the deadline is going to be a good thing or a bad thing whether I'm going to enter or not because there's no point entering if you haven't got something obviously that you think can win you can do it we believe in you yeah I believe I can fly um so yeah, so I know that we, and another thing I was going to say you know, about this time thing, we've got to, we have to be careful with ourselves because I, I remember seeing that Alison Moore, who wrote a book called The Lighthouse recently, did you yeah, read it. about it? It's a great book. Oh, you read it? Yeah, yeah. Ah. She wrote that on maternity leave. Oh, we've talked about, yeah, we talked about yeah. this at, at the time, yeah. Yeah, from start to finish. And, you know, being back at work with young kids is a different thing entirely, but... But yeah, I, 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 looking back on my maternity leave, I was like, how on earth? Like how in all the dribble and poo and and <laughs> and then there's know, the babies insomnia. as well. <laughs> yeah. So I just keep trying to tell myself all the time that I don't think there are good times and bad times for your writing. You can have extremely busy periods, but I don't know. Well, compulsion is a is a funny phrase, isn't it? But it is one that we, is used quite often with um, uh, with writers, and and this is where this question is coming from. I think how much of a choice is your writing? I mean, what the, the, it's you know, how, are you compelled to write? And and I don't th- the, the the issue that I have is sometimes that people say that if you're not compelled to write, if you don't feel like you are um, uh, uh, compelled, then somehow that makes you. Um, not less of a writer, but it's like there's a problem. Like you need to sort of think about things. I don't necessarily think that's true. I've been through periods of of really heavy writing, and I've been through periods where I've not written at all. And it's not always been because I've had twins and a business to run and all that kind of thing. It's been because I just haven't been in the right place. I just haven't, I haven't wanted to. I think it's okay to admit that sometimes you don't want to write. Uh, but but if you if you were to go along across any writing blog not any writing blog but most writing blogs then the that idea i you know you never see someone saying that maybe i should say this maybe i should write a blog post or something but you very rarely hear anyone say that you know if you don't want to write then that's okay and i do think that there is this um uh, pressure perhaps for us to um to to be compelled to write and i'm not sure that everyone is it's like there's loads of stuff that i love in life but i'm not compelled to do all of them all of the time that's not how things work mm-hmm. so but also let's not forget that you and i are employed during the day to write so we write all day it's not like because we're really really busy with work and our families that we are not writing because we are actually writing all the way through it this is this is writing for pleasure that we're talking about 
and for that you might have the compulsion but you need to be able to enjoy it you need otherwise you're not going to do it why why you know it's it's about enjoyment it is, and um, and I've really, I really enjoyed the writing that I have been doing recently, which has been in much smaller pockets of time. I, I have really enjoyed, um, and you know, I don't feel compelled to do it, but I, I want to do it still. And earlier, I was, you know, I was thinking, I said that I've previously thought about, you know, what would happen if I just stopped or if I went without, as the question is phrased. Um, I kind of, my brain isn't working like that. I just, I, I know that that isn't the case. I still mm. see myself in a few years' time having like three or four books that are in a row somewhere. You know, I still believe in the dream, Donna. Good. That's good. If you build it, he will come. Um, I have um, been a bit naughty this week. I've downloaded a, a new little ridiculous game for my iPhone, which I has made me realise that I am an absolute imbecile. Because... <laughs> It, it's amazing. No, I was going to be rude. <laughs> Don't be rude. I'm I'm making a serious confession here about the fact that I always thought that I was quite a, a discerning person, able to make decisions on my own. But I downloaded this little game, which looks really gorgeous. I love the way it looks. Um, and you get. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. Flippy Flippy Hods. Flippy. flippy let's call it Flippy, flippy Turds. Jobs. Flippy Turds. Flippy um, you get five lives, and when those five lives have run out, which you can do in quite quick succession, basically, you can lose those lives quite quickly. Um, You have to wait 20 minutes for the next life to regenerate. So the first time it happened, I was like, oh my God, yeah, what a rubbish game. See you later. And then like 20 minutes later, I was like, oh, actually I could go back on. And I'm telling you, I am going back on, on a regular basis and sitting there and waiting 20 minutes when they tell me I have to. It is just ridiculous. I thought I I would I was better than that, but I'm obviously not. Was the uh was the app called um Digital Pom- Pomodoro? <laughs> that, this is what I was thinking about earlier. I could use it as a Pomodoro. Right right for 20 minutes, fail miserably at your game and then right for another 20 minutes. Yeah, but I'm uh, realistically what's happening is is that I am doing something in my life and then I'm like going to like over to the corner just having a quick losing my lives and then like oh I'm putting the phone away going over to the corner (laughs) going over to a dark corner and doing it quickly it is really bad (coughs) so what's it called well I feel like I'm going to be promoting it if I tell everyone Uh, and I you know people are going to lose you know hours of their lives if I tell them alright well we'll we'll look oh it's called two dots Okay, it's I've seen that. I've seen that available in the App Store. Yes, it is free and it looks lovely. But beware, you will be sitting in dark corners waiting twenty minutes for no reason because they tell you you have to. <laughs> We've all done it. Indeed. Right. Just quickly, then, to finish off the listeners' questions, Bram also asked: Are there times, or were there since well, children, <laughs> when you would get up in the middle of the night to write? Um, no, I am not in the business of getting up in the middle of the night to write. I mean, previously, I would have got up in the middle of the night if uh, I had to, to like maybe make a note. Maybe I'd had some weird and wonderful dream that inspired um, my writing, and maybe I might make a few notes. Or maybe I'd had maybe I'd had a bad dream, and I needed something to distract me. You did uh, a cuddle. I needed a little. <laughs> I needed a little pencil cuddle. Not like that. <laughs> and. Um, and so I, I might have done it then, but not uh, not in the way that I think. You know, I would never get up and say, right, let's uh, do a couple of hours of graft 
No, but I have, um, as a light sleeper or somebody who gets disturbed very easily in the sleep in my sleep, I've done it on many occasions when I've, especially if I know that my brain is whirring, the cogs are whirring away. Um, once I've woken up deep in the middle of the night, which does happen to me actually, then I think, ah, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep for another hour, so I might as well just go and and do a bit of writing. But I think that's the good thing about poetry is that you can just. Well, no, I mean, you could do small pockets of any kind of writing, but I don't know, poetry just lends itself to uh, to um, nocturnal flurries. Yeah, I suppose it does. It's kind of, you know, look at the moon, reflections, images, metaphors, similes, pop yes. it down. And let's hope that I don't have, um, I don't get woken up this week because you know what I'll be doing in the dark corner instead of writing poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, do you want to tell everyone about Rainy Cafe? Yes, I saw a, a link to this to, today on Twitter, and um, a thousand apologies to whoever it was that posted it, but I've completely forgotten who it was, and I, I can no longer find it. There's a website called rainycafe.com, and the idea is that it recreates the atmosphere of being in a cafe while it's raining outside. So if you want to sit at home or feel like you're in your local coffee joint than you can do by going to this website. So, you know, I thought this is ridiculous, but, you know, I'm here on the website. I might as well give it a go. I've been working today. It's um, It's been a normal working day for me, and I've been uh, typing away at my computer. I happen to be at home. And um, and so I thought, well, I'll just pop it on. And, um, it's, uh, and I put both effects on. So you have two sliders. You can have uh, you can have the rain be louder. You can turn it down a bit. You can have the cafe sounds louder, or you can turn them down a bit. And um, and um, and so I, I messed around with the settings and uh, and got it how I wanted it. And um, it was it's kind of it's kind of all right. I mean, it was the the sound quality is quite authentic. And then it, it started thundering, and I thought, well, that's. Uh, it's, it's a bit rough out there, isn't it? <laughs> I thought, and um, and um, uh, but I carried on, and um, about thirty seconds later, there was like a massive crack of thunder, and I thought, I'm supposed to be working here. I didn't choose to get <laughs> into the middle of some kind of monsoon. I was outraged. Oh. Were you? Because I, <laughs> I tried it, and I thought, oh, I could just totally imagine that just going off in the background there, and and. Did you did you listen long enough until it became dangerous? No, no, I didn't. I didn't get to storm levels of background noise. I had to um, leave. <laughs> what leave rather than turn it off? No, I was. I picked up my piece, my you know newspaper, put my coat on, and had to get out. I had to leave the cafe. Um, I uh, downloaded an app called White Noise for my iPhone a while back, and you could put on different background noises for that. I, I had it back when I had a little baby. I used that a lot, and I'm not sure whether it was for for baby or for me because I really relaxed to it. Uh, we we tried that for a while as well, and uh, it was uh, terrifying after a while, sort of like horror me- <laughs> horror film kind of thing. Anyway, uh, so Rainy- I'll give it a try. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it was it was quite it was quite um, it was quite re- relaxing in some ways. I did need to go to the toilet not long afterwards. I don't know if that was. <laughs> oh yes, the old water trickles. And they weren't they weren't clean. What what the toilet? <laughs> oh dear. 
Oh, well, uh, thanks for that. Ian, who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor this week is uh, the wonderful Squarespace. And I'm going to tell you not just about Squarespace, which I'm looking forward to doing, but the fact that they have Squarespace 7 um, uh, recently announced, um, which is... uh, well, it's the one that comes after Squarespace 6, but it's also including uh, lots of fantastic new features, which I'm making use of on my very own website at ianbroom.com. And um, I was able to flick a switch in my settings and, um, and flip straight over to, uh, to, the, to the all-new Squarespace 7. And um, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Um, so let me tell you more about it. So you've already heard us talk about Squarespace before. But uh, they've just come out with this new version, Squarespace 7, and they've made everything simpler and easy to use, while still retaining the power and complexity of the Squarespace platform you already know about. Squarespace 7 refines all the powerful features from Squarespace 6 into one seamless, unified experience. They've uncluttered your workspace, simplified the whole website-making process by letting you add content and customise your design all in one window. You're going to spend even less time building this site, more time doing what you love. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com slash W-F-Y-L and use the offer code WRITE, that's W-R-I-T-E, of course. So there are some fantastic new features with Squarespace 7, like cover pages, because sometimes you only need a simple page to communicate your personal brand, promote a product, or announce your latest album, it says here, but I can tell you, also fantastic for promoting and announcing your latest book. Um, Cover Pages gives you all the power of Squarespace, but you just have one single beautiful page. Squarespace has also partnered with Getty Images to bring you Getty Images integration, which means you can get access to over 40 million professional stock photos that ordinarily cost hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars per image, but now you can get them for just $10 an image to, uh, to all Squarespace customers. And um, that's also pretty amazing too. I know there are lots of people who um, keep blogs, um, especially in the writing community, a lot of uh, bloggers um, and podcasters actually who, who uh, live and work in the, uh, in the online writing community, they often use stock imagery and um, it's of a varying quality. With Getty Images, you know that it's going to be pretty darn fantastic and this all comes built in for a fantastic price with Squarespace. So, like I say, I use Squarespace for my own site, ianbroom.com. Feel free to go and have a look at that to see what you can do with it. They have loads of fantastic templates. Um, I highly recommend it if you're an author or a writer just starting out on your writing journey and you need to build an author platform and you don't want the hassle of learning code, you don't want to kind of have to um, uh, have some sort of complicated content management system. Um, If you just want to spend your time making it look how you want it to look with a drag and drop interface and then just focusing on making it say the things you wanted to say and sell whatever books or products you wanted to sell then i highly recommend squarespace and uh and i think you should go for it um and of course you also support five by five and write for your life the podcast too so just to remind you what you need to do is to go to squarespace.com slash wfyl and if you enter the code write w r i t e then you will get a 10% discount and yeah. um and that's it go do it immediately now all of you after this after the show listen to all the rest of what we got to say first super ian little did you know for you did you know that uk publishers publish more than 20 new books every hour 
or they did at least this year. Uh, it's, 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 it's the sort of figure that seems impossible. 20 new books every hour in the UK. I don't yeah, know. it's pretty mind-boggling, that, that isn't it? Sink, that is mind-boggling. Um, and uh, especially when you consider that the average person reads between one and five books a year. Um, there's a very, very interesting piece uh, this week in The Guardian about this. We will put it in the show notes, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 133. Um, the UK... I don't know whether people know this. Um, if you haven't read the article, then you might be interested to know that the UK publishes more books per capita than any other country in the world. And actually, we are the third biggest publisher, publishing nation in the entire world. I am flabbergasted. It sounds like it. too much, doesn't it? It sounds like there are, that's yeah. too many books. Who are reading? Who's reading those books? There's no wonder that the average author can't get their books into a bookshop. I know, you know, and... That you should you should all go and read this article because the fascinating thing about it for me is the fact that people that are you know professionally in the industry tied up and this is their life their lifeblood their livelihood they are also unsure about whether this is a good or a bad thing does it show that the publishing industry is vibrant and culture is you know thriving and all is well or does it actually show that it's just completely out of control that publishers are just publishing constantly in order to try to to get something new out there and stay you know front of everybody's mind top of mind and they're just it's just meaning that so much stuff is being published and pushed out there that the whole industry could collapse yeah it's kind of bonkers isn't it i don't know enough about the uh the uh, reasons why that that many books are being published to kind of make a, an informed comment, but it just it just feels like a crazy amount. I mean, if you'd have said twenty a day, then I would have probably have gone. Mm, that sounds like quite a lot, <laughs> but twenty an hour is just bonkers. I mean, I'm no mathematician, but I reckon that's something like uh, twenty four times twenty books in a day. <laughs> yes, well said. Um... Yeah, I mean, I the way that I after I read the article, the way that I looked at it was okay. As aspiring writers or writers that have one book published, or you know, yes, as we are at the moment, we think it's difficult enough to get published. What would happen if publishers looked at this and said, "Oh, okay, actually, hang on a second, we need to scale back on this," because the thing is, I can't imagine that that number of books is is you know is fiction and i mean we're talking presumably you know driving test manuals and i don't know the bible the ikea catalog you know the, these things must also be taken into this non-fiction books books for schools i know, guess like so yeah okay. books i guess all of these things are being taken into account but still i mean that you know even if you took all of those out i mean we're still talking about way 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 more books than anyone it seems would ever be able to read in their lifetime um what are we going to do about it i don't know <laughs> but what I, I i do like the fact that it shows that that we have like in terms of exports and rights and things like that you know we really are strong in the uk for that those kind of things um but I think it's interesting how it must be so difficult for foreign writers to 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 break through in England or to be read in the UK. I mean, just think about that when that that sheer volume of books are being pumped out for a 
for the domestic market, you know? Yeah, it's fairly extraordinary. I think it's just um, it's just uh, going to probably carry on like that, I would have thought. I don't see Do you think what. so? Probably. Well, there you go. We, um, as we said, we'll put that in the show notes. I think the other things we were going to talk about this week, Ian, were also from The Guardian, weren't they? Yes, yeah. We've been reading The Guardian a lot this week, it seems. It's about authors responding badly to reviews. Yes. And before you tell everybody about these these pieces, can I just tell you that I we're going to talk a little bit about not necessarily stalking online, but engaging online when you really probably shouldn't. Um, and um, I've got this little thing at the moment where I think I mentioned it before that I've I submitted some poetry to a journal um, that I'd submitted to you on many occasions and, and had rejection email within within the space of one to two weeks. The issue that I submitted for is the October issue. And we are now in October and I still not heard from them. And I'm I'm really having to restrain myself not to tweet them. I have tweeted them once already. <laughs> I tweeted them. <laughs> Here we go. This is the my, my terrible confession. I tweeted them in the middle of September just to ask if they had um, made their selection because I thought maybe in this, some I don't know, maybe it could happen this time my mail has slipped through the net or they haven't replied and that was an error as well. So I just thought I'd just find out because I thought, you know, we're getting quite close. But now, now we're in October. I'm thinking they must have lost my email or forgotten about me. You should uh, you should definitely send a tweet and it should say <laughs> uh, there seems to have been a mistake. <laughs> mistake. Um, yeah. Well, I I I have to confess that I started composing a tweet today and I went back and found out when I tweeted last what I said and then I was like, no, this is ridiculous. I can't tweet them again. So I think I don't want to I don't want to hound them. I don't want to you know become that online stalker. I mean, that's small change, isn't it, compared to the stories that we're uh, investing... Ah, not small change in my life! Well, that's true, but what I mean is you, you're behaving like a rational person. I am. I am. I'll just have to wait until the issue comes out and then tweet them and say, Oh, look, you forgot me, because I didn't hear from you. Uh-oh. So that's my plan now. <laughs> right, tell us about the, uh, the bigger fish and what they've been dabbling in, what dark arts online... Well, I won't go into a huge amount of detail. I have read both of the stories, but there is just a, a collective kind of uh, um, aura at the moment about um, authors responding to um, online critics or reviewers or that kind of thing. The two stories that have have, have been, um, I guess, the most talked about are first a piece by uh, the author Kathleen Hale. Um, and I, I'm going to kind of make this story much shorter than it is i mean it's, a, it's an interesting read it is an interesting read it's a long read but it's it is one that you end up getting through because it is interesting yeah but i think uh you you've read it more recently than me but correct me if i'm wrong she's a she she ended up hiring a private detective to find out where the reviewer lived and even and went to the house and kind of doorstepped them and and kind of, it it became an almost like a, a stalkerist situation. On the, this is the author doing this, um, yeah. And this is uh, Kathleen Hale is the author, so she's writing about her own experience in in having done this. We should just we should just go back a little bit and just say that that um, this all stemmed from the fact that before Kathleen Hale's newest book came out, it was 
reviewed on Goodreads <clears throat> before publication. Um, and the review that, that she spotted online was particularly bad and that she felt that it went over the, you know, that it wasn't useful. It didn't really relate to the book and that it was particularly a bad one. And from that, she, she found herself falling down like the rabbit hole or, or down. I don't know what the, I don't even know how I could say this, but she, she couldn't stop herself basically following this person online until she worked out that it was not a real person. It was, you know, somebody was catfishing her. So they had a, a fake online profile. They were doing book reviews. They were pretending to be somebody else. They had a whole life set up. They were Instagramming holiday photos and they weren't on holiday. Um, and so she decided that she wanted to find out if this was a real person or not. She actually contacted one of the, the guys that was involved in making Catfish the film. Have you seen Catfish? By the way? No, I haven't actually. Uh, yeah. Um, and... Um, and against all her better judgment, did actually show up on the doorstep, um, and then but didn't ever directly talk to them. She left again, but then did call them twice, um, and it all got into a very ridiculous um, situation. And yeah, some of the interesting points for this were the fact that that you know you get warned not to to engage with negative reviews online, and not because you're going to look bad, but because actually it can get so bad for you that you can have this, they, they said there's like a, a, a phase of like ruining your career because you can end up being completely vilified by doing it. Um, so yeah, it opened up a whole new world of, you know, like this this online warfare between reviewers and, um, and authors, which we kind of knew was going on a little bit, but yeah, very interesting stuff. Mm. The second story is... Uh how I ended up with a mailbox full of dog poo. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so this one is uh, a reviewer who um, who had a blog, sort of a review blog, and she reviewed a, uh, um, uh, a book that she didn't like very much, and the author um, got <laughs> quite upset about it. And one thing led to another in some with some similarities to the previous story and um one day the reviewer went to her mailbox, put her hand in to get the letters, and pulled it out and it was covered in dog mess mm. so again, a fairly extreme reaction from an author um it is fairly it is uh, an extraordinary those are extraordinary things to do they really are. And um, and the, the the received advice wisdom is for authors to steer clear in all circumstances um, of any sort of response or confrontation with someone who leaves a bad review of uh, their book. Um, and that's probably mm. that's probably sensible advice. <laughs> it probably is sensible advice, but I can. From ex- from experience, so I, I I have talked about this before. I don't want to talk mm. about it in detail for some of the reasons we've already discussed, even in this podcast. But um, I had a re- review on Goodreads uh, that that was not much fun, and it included <laughs> actually referred to this podcast uh, and personal comments about about me and and I guess my personality and. As you just described in, in the other case, um, it just felt like it was too much. Like I'd, I'd had 
I'd had sort of negative reviews of the book before then, um, but nothing that had been just like you know so out so outraged by what I'd written um, and 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 personal in the comments. So I can vouch for it. It's pretty upsetting when that happens because, as I think I said when I talked about this before, when people do review books and and for whatever reason bring in the personality of the author involved, they're entirely forgetting the fact that the, the author has uh you know is is in almost all cases just a normal person with a family and uh and in a full-time job or whatever it might be i've said i've said this before but you know that's yeah. the context and aside from the 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 personal you know hurt that that a public review which is critical of your personality um aside of that fact i think that suzanne mcgee who wrote the 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 piece in the Guardian from the perspective of, a, of the, the reviewer who had received the dog poo in her mailbox. The thing that she said, which was very interesting, was that how did it get to the point where an author feels that a bad review is going to bring their book down? Mm. And I think that that's very interesting that, I mean, there are just so many opportunities to be reviewed now by so many different people I think that sometimes it's hard to, to to differentiate that from the fact that okay, there may be lots of rev- lots more reviews potentially, and lots more people talking about it. But in terms of the weight of it, it, it you know, it's not going to be enough to mean that nobody reads your book or that you know not as many people see it, um, and that maybe authors are just struggling to come to terms with the fact that that there are so many more voices out there, and it seems like that they are going to completely kill their book before it's even had a chance to be a success. I guess so. I mean, the thing for anyone entering the, the industry from now on, and that includes me and you from a couple of years ago when my book first came out, is that we've, we've, that's all we know. It's not like we were publishing in the 60s where you had to sort of buy a random journal to find a review. You know, this is, um, this is just how it is now. You, you know, you, when you get a book published, you know that it's going to be up for public debate and it is of course almost uh, uh, you know if you've written a good book then it's probably a positive thing not everyone's going to like it of course mm. but it, but it is difficult to not have any right of reply whatsoever another another example i can think of with mine i've had a i've had sort of a handful of what i would call people who really didn't like the book um and in almost all cases, I've been able to sort of read their reviews, which have usually only consisted of a line or two, and just thought, do you know what? They were never going to like it. It just it wasn't for them. Um, and uh, if, and if if there was something more more to it than that, then you know they haven't put it in the review, and it would have been nice if they'd have provided some extra context. Um, I've I had a couple of other sort of negative reviews where it's where they've got something their view of the book was completely at odds with what I intended and with what I thought the book kind of achieved. There was a reference to um, there's um, an Amazon review, so I've, I've sadly my <laughs> my 100% record of having positive reviews on Amazon was recent, recently tarnished. And there was a reference to uh, mental illness, and the, it was the idea that the the book. Um, I don't. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something. It was a, a effectively suggesting that I was making light of mental illness. And I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, God, as if I would, as if I would do something like that, as if something like that would get published. Um, and and you know, it's th- that's there. I can I can't change that. I can't sort of 
And it's not like I would want to go and put dog poo in that person's like letterbox, but I'd really love to sort of chat with them and go, God, no, that's not what I meant at all. What did you read that made you think that? You yeah. know, talk to me. I want, I, I, I'm really sorry that that's what you got from reading my book. What was it that made you, you think that that's not what I meant at all? But maybe that's, maybe that's the person behind the author just not wanting to kind of, you know, I guess wanting to be loved. I don't know, but it's 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 but hard. Also the fact that you can't you can't control interpretations of your work. As soon as you put it out there in the public domain, people are going to misinterpret it or interpret it in a way that you like, but that you hadn't expected. I mean, I've had that with my poetry too. But I, I've actually had an experience of this from the other side of the table because um, a few years back, I reviewed children's books for a website called Children's Books UK, which which was really great but unfortunately the 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 fab lady who um who ran it had to stop because she she had serious illness but um I did that for like a couple of years actually reviewing books and I reviewed a book for uh let me see I say it was about like 10 year olds um and I won't name it or the author but um I it was not a massively positive review because I felt that um that you know, it was actually as well in a similar way, making light or or using for young children the the idea that children were disappeared or taken from their parents in in certain countries in the world, um, in a very kind of offhand way. I, I really, I just, I just thought, you know what? I can see that this might be satirical. You might, you know, it might be a political comment on the fact that it's a really bad thing that happens. But this is a book for ten-year-old children, and that's who are you making that 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 for? You know, this that's not an underlying meaning that they're going to get. I just don't think that ten-year-old kids would get that. So anyway, it wasn't a great review, and um, the author did exactly what you're not supposed to, and he responded to my review underneath, and he said, um, "Yeah, hello, it was like you know, I was being satirical." Actually, and I, you know, I very serious think about this. So exa- exactly, he felt that I had misinterpreted him as being someone who was just taking the Mickey out of the whole situation. And ha ha, isn't it funny that children get get to you know kidnapped from their parents and never returned? But I wasn't saying that. I was saying that I didn't think that that you know that for ten year olds that that was really that appropriate because they weren't going to understand the satirical side of it. And I decided not to engage and explain my review to him. I thought, you know what? It's just better not to get into this. And so from the other side of the table, I didn't engage with with that author. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like you probably did the right thing. Or I mean, I I guess there you've got someone else to step in. I mean, the the thing I referred to in Goodreads, of course, I sort of sought advice from those around me and, you know, and it all turned out more or less all right, um, but um, it, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a shame, isn't it? It always feels like a bit of a shame. Like you wish, you wish that everything was um, uh, kind of uh, happy, singing and dancing, and uh, negative reviews kind of all always include a little bit of constructive criticism. Well, it wasn't quite for me, mm-hmm. but well done anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that's but that's not you know. No, well, wait, wait. I, I, it wasn't for me, but you should really read it because it might be for you. That <laughs> well, would be exactly. really good. But you know, it's um, it's uh, when when you're writing a book, which takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, um, you you don't really you should you don't really think about what might come afterwards, and 
when you're writing a review, I don't think you necessarily think about what came before. You don't really think about all the effort and work that went into the book. And if you do think something along the lines of what you've just described, um, it is incredibly difficult to get into the... You don't know the person, so you, for all, you know... For all you know, he could have been, maybe wasn't being satirical. I'm not. I probably shouldn't use that as an example because it's not very fair. But um, you know, it's you know, it's not a it's not a review of the person, is it? It's a review of the book and how one person interprets the book at any one time. Either way, in any of this, no one should go around to someone's house and put poo in the letter box. No, well, quite. And it's interesting that both of those are very critical of the author overstepping the line and physically well, physically overstepping a line, whereas, you know, that you just need to just sit back and, and, and accept whatever goes on online to I a certain th- degree. I guess you can you can report uh, reviewers that you... And you, they can be bad. Well, I can't remember what they call them, but they, you can be, like, blacklisted, basically, on Goodreads, right, as a reviewer and as an author, I believe. Yep, yep. Yeah. But, that's, so, may, may, but, but examples like that of those two authors doing that, I mean, I don't think... I'm, I don't think it's sort of too much of a stretch for me to say that they kind of let down the rest of us. Because maybe if... right, I think There are lots of examples of writers responding to reviews in ludicrously aggressive and over-the-top ways. And, you know, to the point where, you know, that's a thing, isn't it? And that's the kind of thing that fuels this notion that writers should have absolutely no response. Like, completely zip, just, like, just take it. Just take whatever anyone mm. says. And actually, whilst it's probably a good idea to not respond to, you know, abuse, um, uh, uh, the, the idea that there could be some more discussion and, like, conversation between readers and authors, I think the, there, is, there is... I think there is room for that. I think that... I don't know what form that would take or how it would be moderated, but mm. I think it's how authors respond is is the issue. Um and like you but, say, but is it is it responding to reviews though? It, should there ever be the place to respond to reviews? That's different to responding to readers and readers' questions or readers, you know, uncertainty about how you know how they should interpret a certain thing in the book. Whereas a review is, I don't know. I think that's very interesting. Actually, should I'm talking? I'm, I am talking about reviews, but I'm but I, I'm not saying like there should be like a little box for the author after every Amazon review. But I don't think that it should be. If someone says something like maybe maybe if that was a little bit more serious, the the, the reference to mental illness that I had, the way it was phrased was a bit kind of frustrating for me. But it wasn't you know the worst thing in the world. But maybe maybe it was. Maybe if it was kind of getting to the point where I just thought, gosh, that's I need to explain myself. That's not that's not what I meant. And I would hate to think of the people thinking the same thing. Um, I don't see how, why if I was to write a responsible piece that I posted for example on my own blog or maybe talked about it on my own podcast I've just realized what's happening here um, um, and and it's not necessarily it doesn't have to be like this big aggressive response from an author it can just be someone saying well I'm really, like I said earlier like I'm really sorry that that's how it came across when you when you when you read it and obviously I don't mind that you don't like the book but you know that bit where you referred to that specific thing and thought that that's what I was saying you know uh, it, it wasn't you know, I just sort of want you to know that and um and um and you know maybe you'll buy my second book probably not probably not I know you probably won't but um hey come back I was wondering whether <laughs> come 
Baku. I was, I was, I was still talking to the uh, reviewer. <laughs> to the imaginary reviewer. Wow, you were really get, letting your imagination go there. Um, I was wondering whether, like, a big band, if they had a really bad review in... Um, so I subscribe at work, obviously. I need to keep up to date with the news to... Uh, to the main Danish newspapers that review, you know, everything that comes out that's big. And it seems to me they never, ever give, you know, they have six-star reviewing says, and they never give six stars. But when something comes out and it's got, like, two or three reviews and it's like, this is, you know, the worst album they've done, I just don't feel like you hear people engaging. And and those are those are reviewers that have serious clout, you know. I mean, this is, like, national newspapers and... But you don't really hear them engaging, do you? I mean, I guess we, there might be the odd case of a band, you know, a famous band, you know, referring to a bad review. But do, do you not feel that there's just a bit more distance there? Well, they do a bit, but then they have the platform to do so, don't they? The, uh, uh, they can sort of head things off of the path, a big band or a, even a big author. They're going to do sort of national interviews, be on national radio and all that kind of thing. So they can kind of fend off any general criticism that they're aware of. Um, but but just somebody saying you're, this album's rubbish, don't bother buying it in a national newspaper. The band just has to accept that. Yeah, I, I suppose so. And you know, if we're talking about the fact that that could actually affect sales, I mean that seriously could affect, affect their sales. I sit there and I and I think, oh well, I'm not going to bother listening to that album if if they get really bad reviews. You know, it's true. I don't know what to do about all of this. Oh, it's so tough, isn't it? But. Well, it'd be nice to have more books out there, eh, Ian, that we can sit and stalk um, reviewers online and get upset about. 20 an hour. <laughs> yeah, there is the, there is always the chance. Are we coming towards the end of our time this week? I think that we have got to the end of our time. At the end of our time. Um, well, it's it's flown by as usual. Um, thank you uh, for staying the course, even though you're not very well. I feel worse now. Oh, don't <laughs> come off it. Look, it's fantastic. Look, mm. I mean, you've got like 24 times 20 times whatever chances of getting published every year. Indeed, that's true. That's true. <laughs> 365. Yeah. Well, it depends on the year, doesn't it? That's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can contact me on Twitter at The Flying Poet, and you can contact him on uh, Ian, Broom. Ian Broom. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to do it for you. I thought it'd be easier. Did you go for it? I did it, but you did it at the same time. Okay. So now no one's going to know where to contact you. <laughs> <laughs> at Ian Broom. Um, and there's a little extra eye in there, isn't there? There is. I popped a little extra one in just for good measure. Tucked away in the middle. <laughs> um, so we'll speak to you all next week. Don't forget to tweet us if you have questions or comments, because we are not going to find out where you live or do dog poo or anything like that, are we? No, that's not the plan. Promise. Promise. <laughs> cool. See you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>